Good morning, TCC. Why don't we just pray before we get into um, the message that is prepared for today. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that we have your word to look to, that we get to hear your words, Jesus, as preached. And God, I just pray for, for all of us that we would be able to hear what you have to say for us, God, and, and not what I have to say, but rather what you are saying through this text. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I think one of the, like, the oddest memories from my childhood took place when I was in elementary school. I switched schools when I was in grade three, and I went from this private Christian school to a Catholic public school, which was closer to my home. And what's the toughest thing about switching schools when you're young? It's the fact that you have no friends when you arrive at that school, right? So I remember the first week of this change, the first week in grade three, so well. Why, you might be wondering? Well, it's because when the lunch times rolled around, I made my way outside, and what greeted me was the gangs of St. Martha's School. <laughs> okay, not really gangs, but groups of friends. And that kind of hung out together. So you had, you know, the one group that always hung out on the soccer field playing soccer. You had this large group of girls who would hang out on the cement pad, who would just kind of stand around and, and talk the entire time. Boring. Um, you also had this other group, and most gang-like group, who was these, these group of kids who always formed up on the field, who would crouch down and pull their shirts over their knees and kind of hop around. This is uh, Blair and Noreen's girl. She's so cute. She's modeling exactly what would happen. And they would like hop around and like they would look for fights. Okay, they bumped into each other and sometimes fell down. But I guess they weren't really fighting, but they were kind of, right? And so when I saw this and I was trying to make my decision, okay, which group am I going to hang out with? That group was pretty interesting. I thought I would join the cool group. And so I had to hang out with these crouching kids with their shirts over their knees. And I found out that this group called themselves, and it's not really a good name, it's a very tasteless name, but they called themselves the Midgets. But man, at the time, looking around, I wanted to be one of them. (laughs) They always played fun, silly games throughout that week. They always seemed to be smiling and laughing And so I decided I wanted to find out more. And so I tried. I went over there, and I started talking with them, and I found out that their leader was this guy named Wayne. Oh, yes, I said leader. They actually had elected a leader for their group. And so I was like, all right, that's fine. So I I talked with him a little bit about it and and found out why they did the thing. It's just because it was fun and silly and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, hey, I wonder, do you think I could join you guys? Would that be okay if I became a part of your group? And they're like, well, we actually kind of have an initiation before you could join. I was like, what? (laughs) They're like, yeah, so what you've got to do is you have to crouch down. You have to pull your shirt over your knees And every other member gets to try to knock you over. And if they do, you're not a part of us. You get three lives. If you can last with at least one of them, you're in the group. Weird group, right? 
Well, I wanted in, so I took my bumps and I was voted in as a member. And yes, I said voted, yes, yet again. But for all of us, no matter what age, we want to be included in a group. We want to have this, this, we want to have people, this group that we can call our own. We want to have people that we can call our friends. We want to know where we belong. We want to know that we belong. We want to be able to place our trust in people and have their trust in us. And this passage that we just read or heard read to us, it's all about that. It's all about trust. It's asking us an important question of where are we placing it? For some of us, we may have heard the first part of today's passage, verse 6, and maybe we've heard it in the context of the, the passage that Pastor Norm preached last week. And the passage, verse 6, says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. I know I have heard it in the context of last week's message. But I want to make the point, and this is kind of what I studied and read I want to make the point that this verse is actually referencing today's passage that has been read to us. So verse 6 is not speaking about judgment, which is what was preached on last week. It is speaking on trust. Let me explain. Throughout this series, we've been kind of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And for structure-wise, we've been using this essay from Glenn Stassen titled The 14 Triads of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a resource we've been using to kind of look at the structure of Jesus' words. And throughout Stassen's essay, he argues that the best way to understand the Sermon on the Mount is by looking at it as a triad of statements leading to a holier way of living. Stassen's triad is described as follows. The first member of each triad is looking at traditional righteousness. What is the normal way of understanding right now? And how is that flawed? And why is that flawed? The second member of the triad is the diagnosis of a vicious cycle and its consequence. What happens if we leave our understanding in that traditional way of thinking? How flawed that thinking is. And also looking at why if we don't change our view, things will get worse. The third member of the triad is transforming, is a transforming initiative that points the way of deliverance. What if we change our thinking from this bad and sinful thing to let's change the way we live and think so that we are actually dwelling on how can we honor ourselves, how can we honor others, and how can we honor God, most importantly. So let's dive directly into looking at verse 6 and and look at the context of this passage before we do so. While we know that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus has gone up into this mountain, his disciples disciples have gathered around Jesus' feet. Behind them is this multitude of people who I imagine as kind of cascading down the mountain. And I'm sure they're trying to push in just a little bit more, cranking their neck a little bit to get their ear just to hear Jesus just a little bit better. And Jesus, as a rabbi, is most likely seated down and teaching. And the context for all these people who are gathered around 
are they are living in a land that is currently occupied by a group of people, the, the Romans, who are doing their best to control the land, the people, all of it. Now, when I say Jesus is saying don't give holy things to dogs and people, or sorry, to dogs and pigs in verse 6, what is he talking about? Well, what we see is that he's not only talking about something he titles holy, which we will get to in a second, but he is also talking about people and a system, which he refers to as dogs and pigs. The dogs and pigs refer to people and the secular power structure that is currently in place. And if you are like me, maybe your first thought is, man, Jesus, that's kind of rude. Why would you call someone a dog or a pig? But that's not what he's saying at all. The fact of the matter is, is he is not necessarily referencing a person, an individual. He is actually saying, he's actually talking about a system a group of people in the sense of what happens when we place our trust in them. So what is that holy thing that he's saying, don't give them? Well, we'll get there in a second. You see, when we have something we care about, we take care of it. If it's something we treasure, perhaps like an an important document, say a marriage license or a birth certificate, we may keep it in a folder and keep that folder in a safety box to ensure that it won't get wrecked. And if we weren't dealing with COVID today, I may have handed out a crisp piece of paper to someone at the start of today's message saying, please continue to pass that paper along. And inevitably, that piece of paper, after it kind of went through everyone, would get back to me, and it would not be a crisp piece of paper. It would be crinkled, and it would be a little less pristine than when I handed it out. For all of us, we protect the things that we care about. There are many things that are important to us. But even above those things, there are way more important things. Possessions are just possessions at the end of the day. We value people. We would do anything to ensure the safety of our friends and and especially the safety of our family. We value moments in time. That is why pictures can mean so much and it's why social media is so popular. But what about that holy, valuable thing? What is Jesus exactly talking about when he says, do not give these holy things to dogs and pigs? While he is talking about trust, he is talking about loyalty and faith. This picture of dogs and pigs fully fleshes out that vicious cycle part of that triad, the second part of that triad. You see, the first part of our triad, that traditionally accepted way of living, that part one, is actually emphasized in the following verses, Matthew 8 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Jesus is talking about a relationship in these verses, verses 8 to 11. He is stating clearly, when you go to someone you trust, you expect for them to care for you and you to care for them. This isn't talking about just anything. The son in this illustration given by Jesus is asking for a necessity of life. He is hungry and he is looking for his father to provide. Well, of course, if your son is hungry, 
You're not going to turn around and give him something that is going to hurt him. You're not going to give him a stone. In Jesus' illustration, we see two things that are in stark contrast to the good the son is asking for. If someone, never mind a son, is asking for bread, you wouldn't throw him a stone and say, chew on that for a little bit. If someone is asking for food, and and in this case, a fish, you wouldn't kind of lure him towards you, get him to hold out his hands, and then surprise him with a snake. Gotcha. (laughs) Who in their right mind would do that? Especially to a child. No, No one would. Well, maybe someone would. And this is the illustration to remember. Jesus is pointing something out here. We are looking at this illustration not just from a man's perspective, or let alone Jesus as a man, and he's not referring it to it just as that. He's also talking this illustration through as him as God. Remember, Jesus is fully man and fully God. So who is the children that Jesus is talking about? Jesus is talking about his children. In particular, I assume that Jesus is talking about the Israelites. That is who Jesus is talking about. He sees his people as his children. So what are the Israelites asking for? What have they asked for time and time again from God? They've asked for his help. They've asked for his safety. They've also asked for food and protection time and time again. I see you are continuing to place your trust in people, Jesus is saying to the crowd. I see that you are turning to the Romans and asking for their help, the very ones who are oppressing you. They have come down and begun enforcing their laws and their demands on you, and you are turning to them and asking for what I can provide for you. I can only imagine the frustration that God must have felt during the season. He says he sees his people are once again choosing to be in the land with the Egyptians, so to speak. They are willing, willingly choosing the oppression. It reminds me of when Moses came down and went and found his people, the Israelites, with the Egyptians. And what did he do? God instructed Moses to take them out of Egypt, to rescue them from slavery, to rescue them from oppression. And so Moses did that. It took a while, but God's plan worked, and Moses actually led the Egyptians out of there. He rescued the people from the Egyptians. And initially, they celebrated that fact and their freedom that God had given them. Until it got kind of hard, because they were in the desert. And life in the desert, even while God is providing for them, and I mean God literally provided for them. Remember, food was falling from the heavens, this manna, this superfood that would fly down every morning and provide for, God provided for his people. And yet, as time went on, they began to complain and say to Moses, this is tough, this is hard. I want to go back into slavery with the Egyptians. I want to have some scraps of meat once in a while. 
You see, Jesus is seeing this behavior once again with his children. They are growing complacent with God. And by that I mean they are turning to the Pharisees and their legalism of the faith. And they're even turning to the Romans and their power structure and saying, okay, this is good. I like this. I will accept it. I will accept their ruling and I will turn to them for my help and my protection. Further, they are also becoming the bad parents in this illustration that Jesus gave. They have begun to treat each other so poorly and the other nations around them as well. You see, what Jesus is saying here to his children is, Man, oh man, listen, your Father in heaven gives you good gifts. And yet you are not asking for these gifts from him. You are turning to the wrong people. You are turning to the wrong God. And in verse 11 to 12, let's, let's actually just read it here quick. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give, gives good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is crying out to them and and he's literally saying, check your trust. Check your faith. Who are you turning to? Where is your heart at? It's not good enough to just do good to yourself. We, you are called to love others. You must love others and love the Lord your God with your whole heart. You see this part about uh, him asking who is supplying your needs? This whole passage, it stems in faith and it stems in trust. Jesus, in the simplest way, is asking the people around him, who has your trust? By your actions, he's saying, by your actions, you are not trusting God. And as much as I can hear Jesus in that moment saying this, crying out to his children, I can fully imagine his voice once again to us saying the same. Who has your trust, church body? Who is the first person you're going to when life gets tough? And if it's not God, you are missing the mark. And I have to be honest, even as I, as I say this, I know I have missed the mark far too many times. This unusual analogy of placing your trust, this holy, sacred thing that is meant to only be placed in God, has rings of truth to it right away. Be careful who you are giving your trust and your faith to. And to be honest, I know for, for all of us, we have been so bogged down with all that has been happening. Our minds are being filled with just lots of stuff. And let's be real, a lot has been happening. That's why that is taking place. COVID has become the number one distraction for all of us at some point or another. And maybe, if we're honest, it still is the distraction that is pulling our attention from everything else. And I get it. I can be so distracted with all of that, too. With COVID, 
and with the rest of the distractions, and, and, and let's be honest, a lot of the distractions that are in our life are self-inflicted. But when we do that, we forget where our focus should be, where our trust should be placed. And hear me on this. I'm not saying sometimes or when it's convenient. What I'm saying is it must always be on Christ. He should be our focal point, our goal, our aim, our marker for where we are heading. And why do I say this? I say this because he is our creator the maker of our soul, the grand designer of who we are, the savior of each of us. He's the grand designer of the deep down parts of us that make up us. You see, even for the disciples, it took a while for them to get this right. They literally even walked with Jesus and heard everything he was saying, and yet one of them missed it. Placing our trust Placing our faith in Christ is the number one thing on the list as Christians. It is the number one thing. And if we misplace that, we miss the entire point of our faith. We miss the entire walk with Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 7 to 8, Jesus paints this beautiful picture of what a healthy relationship with him is. It's an an example of what that delivery is. It's that third part of that triad. It reads this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to make one final observation from today's text, for, for today's message, and it's this. When you trust and, and faith is placed in Christ, he opens our eyes to see our mission here on earth, our goal. You see, when our relationship with Christ is in step with him, meaning our faith and trust is solely placed in Christ, he will begin to open doors that we need opened. Not that we want opened, but what, that we need opened. And he will help us to see the goals that he has placed in us. For all of us, he has set our heart's ambition. And if we want to accomplish that goal, that ambition that is unique to you, we need to remember that we are created not by accident, but rather by a craftsman who has designed us so intricately with such purpose that he gifted us a life's purpose while on this earth. There is a reason why he created you the way you are. You are not created by an accident. And you are not an accident. The ambitions and the goals and the, the just everything that makes up you is made by a designer who put that in you. He designed you intricately and with a purpose. And only you can accomplish this goal while you are on earth. God created you. He made you. But man, oh man, we need to pull our eyes away from the distractions and fix our eyes on Christ. And when we do that, God will begin to course correct us. He will shift our desires, our impulses. He will allow us to walk on that narrow path path that leads to him. 
I think in life it's so easy to be focused on things of this world, to be distracted with what the world is telling us is important. It's easy to put our trust in what the world has to offer. It can feel so tangible, but no matter who we are going to place our trust in, when it's not God, that person will eventually fail us and our trust will be broken. We will be let down. And focusing on COVID for one more second, the world can offer us healing from this virus that hurts the flesh and may, let's be real, can take us away from our loved ones or our loved ones away from us. And I want to be clear, I personally agree with vaccines. I believe that you need to do what you need to do to be healthy. But if we are only waiting and trusting and hoping on a mankind cure and not waiting, trusting, and hoping in the true healer, Jesus Christ, we're missing it. We must be looking at Jesus. If we are too focused on a physical illness, so much so that we are forgetting the disease of sin, one which doesn't just rob our bodies but also robs our soul, we are forgetting about the living water and the bread of life which heals us not just for this physical life but our eternal life. I think we've become too trusting in the promises of the world and not what promises God has for us. I don't know about you, but my trust My hope is not in what the world can peddle to us, but what the loving God of the universe, the loving God of our world, the loving God of us, each of us has to say and what he wants to do with me and with you. Amen? So who are you trusting? I think for all of us, we need to do this heart check on a regular basis. And this is how I want to end today's message. I just want to give us two practical tools to do a self-checkup of our spiritual heart. And they're very simple, and yet I think they are very effective. The first one is this. Ask yourself this question. When's the last time I talked to God? And I mean really talk to God. Praying with your heart and your mind, inviting God into your life moment by moment, day by day, and asking him for your daily bread, asking him to be your living water. It's a simple thing to do, and yet I think sometimes we can forget to take that time. Second is this. When is the last time that I shared the love of Jesus with someone? Or when's the last time I lovingly shared Jesus with someone? You see, the very last word that Jesus gave us when he was on this earth was the Great Commission. Go into all the world sharing, discipling, baptizing all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe if we regularly ask ourselves these two questions, when's the last time I talked to God? When is the last time I shared the love of Jesus with someone? I believe it will not only help us to stay on that narrow path towards Christ, it will help us to place our trust in Christ, help us to place our faith in Christ, but it will also help us to have the same kind of desire as Paul when he says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is 
in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Jesus is returning soon. He is coming to claim his children and to reclaim the world. The time to live with our faith and trust in Christ is not tomorrow. It's not when we get better. It's now. God doesn't need us to be perfect to follow him, but he needs our heart to be focused on him. So let's live like Paul. Say with him and proclaim with him, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this amazing text of scripture, God, and and just the encouragement that's in there and this reminder, this question that is asking who has our trust, who has our faith, who are we turning to? God, I I pray for, for all of us here, whether at home or in person this morning. I pray, Lord God, that we would ask ourselves some hard questions. Who are we turning to first? Who has our trust? And I pray, Lord God, that it would be you. And if it's not, that we would turn to you, Father, ask for forgiveness and set our eyes on you. Lord, this is not an easy thing to do alone. But God, that's why you made the church. That's why we have this place. That's why we have one another I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't do our faith alone, but we would walk with one another as we walk with you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.